Up and down the coast of California, from San Diego to Sacramento, from the Bay to the border, these are the young voices of the Golden State. This podcast tells their stories, the stories of men and women who are fighting for a voice in their communities and all over the country, who are working together in solidarity to rise up as one. From Fusion Media Group, this is The Brave. Omequetzal Lopez and Alicia Olivares are the co-founders of Dulce Upfront and Fresco, a collective of artists and activists based in and around the Fresno area. My name is Ome Quetzal Lopez. I identify myself and I mean, a multi-dimensional creature. <laughs> I don't know, I, I'd like to think of myself as a, a unicorn. Wouldn't everybody? I mean, at some point, hopefully. Um, but I, I am a parent of an 11-year-old. Uh, I'm also Chicana. I'm genderqueer, um, two-spirited. I'm also a raver, old school. Um, I'm a professional DJ and MC, uh, event producer, and I am also a part of Dulce Upfront, a community a multimedia arts collective. I'm also a co-founder of Fresco. And my name is Alicia Olivares, um, originally from Sanger. I'm a Chicana, the child of an immigrant, uh, organizer, artist. Uh, I'm the strategy director for 99 Roots, and we do electoral and youth organizing across the Central Valley. And then I'm also one of the co-founders of Fresco, which, as you mentioned, is a co-working and cultural space. <laughs> Over the last six years, their Fresco Collective has organized more than 60 actions and events celebrating cultural and age diversity and partnering with other community groups to raise awareness around campaigns like Schools Not Prisons, Equity, Equality, and Justice for the LGBT Community, and the Rights of Immigrants. Our Rise Up Be Heard reporter Johnson Del Rosario spoke with them about their work. And both of you are in the art, advocacy, activism world now, but... Growing up, did you always know that you wanted to be in that space? Or if not, when did you know that this was the right path for you? Yeah, I always felt that. You know, my parents, my like I said, my grandparents were part of the United Farm Workers Movement. My parents were part of the Chicano Movement. Um, my parents were um, part of the the like cultural art scene, the Chicano art scene here in the Central Valley when I was growing up, and um, they would throw me in the van and they they would like with their theater group and they would travel different parts of the state and perform around body of warfare, um, and and so I got to experience that, and uh, I always saw the power of of art and activism in moving people. Like I feel it's the, the, the that one thing that really moves people emotionally, um, surpassing other other forms of, of, of like passing knowledge or, or information. You know, I was raised by a largely single father who um, was from Mexico and his identity was like, I'm Mexican, I'm not, I don't identify with this. And so some of the things that may touch on like, what is my identity? Like I actually didn't sort out till I went to Berkeley and there's like, ethnic studies and 
Chicano studies and had the opportunity to learn about that and was like blew my mind, I think. And working in Oakland around um, prominent like civil rights activists and folks really inspired me. Um, and so now a lot of the work that I do is like, why is it that for a lot of us, we especially I think in, in this generation and, and future generations, like why does it why do we have to leave our communities to learn about our history sometimes, right? Or like why do we have that narrative like we need to leave to be something? And and so a lot of the work that I do is to counter that and, and give people space and opportunity. Literally, I think that's what I love about Fresco is that, you know, young people can have the space to be their, their unapologetic selves, right? And explore those identities, whether it's race, gender, sexuality. I didn't appreciate in the communities I had lived in before how much work people had put into creating safe spaces. And I felt like I'm sure that existed before we, it does, it, it did exist before we came, right? Um, and I feel like, you know, at, at that moment in time, there was the energy for us to do this. And I felt like we need a space for us to tell our stories, right? Like, so our monthly art shows are people of color, um, folks who might have never shown their art before, um, queer, trans artists, like, and I think it's important that we have and protect our spaces and tell our own stories instead of having them told for us. And from an intersectional lens, right? Our communities are under attack right now. And I think it's important that we have that lens in our art, in our culture, in our organizing work. How can we mobilize for institutional systems, policy change, if people don't identify with their own community? If they don't know their history, if they can't unapologetically look in the mirror and say, this is who I am, if they don't identify as Latinx and are shameful about it, how can I ever get them to come out and vote right on that issue and identify with that community? So I think this is the first like step to bringing people in and moving them into that direction of being able to create change themselves. It's like the saying that anything about me without me is not for me, you know? So like it's when we're creating space, you know, and trying to get people that you feel this is affecting them. If you, if they're not a part of that process, then what's the whole point of me being here? You know, you're, and that's why I think, you know, the work that we do is resonating with people. We're a part of that community. We did not get parachuted in to this region to do some work in here and then uh, I got another job opportunity and I'm gonna like peace and I'm out. Like we're from here, this is, this is, this is our hood and we're gonna do whatever we can in our power to, to like make sure that we create like, and that we work towards people being free and liberated, you know? So I really try to step back and think about that. Like anything about me without me is not for me. And that's why I do what I do. And I'm always creating, trying to create environments that like my family and my homies can, can really love. Could you tell us what Dulce Upfront is and why did you want to launch it? Sometimes people get caught up in the, you know, it's, we just do events. But I think there's other people that really see um, deeper into what we're doing. Um, some might say we party with a purpose, but it's, it's really about connectivity. It's about the fact that we come from a region, for me, where it is challenging for us to find safe space, uh, to find environments where we can celebrate our beauty. And in a region where people will say, there's nothing going on, it's written with, you know, bad things and violence. 
where it's really hard sometimes for us to really see how beautiful we really are. And so I think that it's imperative that we find spaces to celebrate and to find connection with each other. If we can't have spaces where we're celebrating each other, when there is conflict, interpersonal conflict, political, social issues, where we see differently, you're gonna find it much harder for us to be able to look each other in the eyes when it is a challenging time and talk about these hard conversations that are you know, relationships, whether it's interpersonal or social political issues. And when we can find that, you're gonna find that you're gonna, you're gonna have more opportunities where people are gonna then, uh, outside of that space, be able to, to feel more connected to other people and, and, and have those really hard conversations. Did you think the, the safe space and the connectivity that Dulce Upfront provides, did you think that that was missing in Fresno before you launched uh, Dulce? I think, it, I think that it was missing for a while. I feel like when I was um, a kid growing up in the 80s here in the, the Central Valley, with the work that was happening with my parents and other um, artists, activists, especially in the Chicano art scene, um, there was a lot of like camaraderie. Um, there were there were events happening at parks where it was like car shows and backyard boogies. People were making murals. There's a lot of beautiful, beautiful things that were going on um, through the, through all the struggles, you know. And then uh, there was a shift for me that I saw in the '90s and the 2000s. Um, where it became harder, and not to say that like more policing happened, as I think policing has been there already and was there already then, um, but there was shifts that happened where um, it it was there were, weren't as many spaces to be able to come together and celebrate life. And so, what are some of the projects and events that Dulce has done that you were especially proud of? There was a, an event that we, we collaborated with multiple organizations called Magandang Corazon. And Magandang Corazon, Magandang in um, Tagalog, uh, is a beautiful corazon in Spanish, is heart. So it was a collaboration with Filipinos and Mexicanos or Chicanos um, where we uh, honored the the role of Filipino farm workers in, in the farm labor movement. And um, for me, it was so important to do that event, and it was so beautiful. But because at that time, the Cesar Chavez film have, had come out, and, and kind of like Alicia was saying earlier, it's like people are, uh, we're unaware of our history. Sometimes you have to go somewhere else to find that information out. I was aware about Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta, but I, didn't, I was unaware of the Filipinos were in the, in the farm labor movement. And my grandmother never talked to me about it. My parents never talked to me about it, like completely invisible. So when that movie came out and on social media, there was a lot of commentary about what about Larry Itliang? What about the, all the other Filipinos that were leaders in the farm labor movement, the spark of the movement? And so I asked my parents, like, this is not right. Like, what the heck? You didn't tell us about the Filipinos and the farm labor? And they were like, oh, yeah, they were also part of the movement, too. I'm like, dang, that's hella messed up. So, so um, we felt it important as Chicanos is a lot. We're, 
you know, predominantly Chicano-based, right, focused, um, we, we, we felt that it was our, it was our duty to, to highlight the role of Filipinos. So we did that event on like a shoestring budget. We seriously had like $500. And we produced this beautiful event. Um, it was just a really good time. It's crazy that you brought that up because I'm Filipino uh -huh. and I'm from Delano. Okay. So, but it wasn't until college until I heard about like Larry Leong. And you know, it's crazy growing up in a place where the farm movement happened and not hearing anything about the Filipino farm workers. It, I found that really crazy that I didn't, you know, it wasn't even in our like high school curriculum. I, I think that's great that you were able to do that. Yeah, and I mean, and it's the thing for us is like, we didn't do it because we didn't get a grant. We, we don't really get grants, you know, we kind of, we do it pretty much mostly everything off strength. And so it was, it was really because we felt that it was important for our community to be aware of this. Um, and we pulled in our families and our resources to have the event happen. And it looked beautiful. It looked like it was like there was a lot of money put into it. And at the end of that, it was really a lot of love and passion that was put into it. And so going to Alicia. Um Tell us about your background a little bit. I know you went to UC Berkeley and Harvard. You know, what were those experiences like? Uh, and, you know, what was it like for your first time living outside of the Central Valley? Well, definitely a culture shock. I mean, my dad dropped me off in downtown Berkeley and was like, Miha, are you sure? Because it was, there's just a lot of stuff happening if you've ever visited Telegraph Avenue. And, um, you know, so it was, it was definitely a culture shock, and I think, you know, I wasn't used to being a, in a community that wasn't, like, a lot of Latinx folks, um, and was like, whoa, what is this? Um, so just a lot of, like, education around um, this new community, and then a university environment. I was in, like, the sciences, and I was, like, sitting in a class with 500 folks that did not look like me, learning chemistry that I, like, was severely behind on, and so... It was really challenging um, to adjust, but like, I think I learned to find my community there, and, and that, that's been a theme in any community that I've been in. Like, where do you find like the folks that will dream and um, hold you up when it's hard and laugh with you when things are crazy? So I, I just adopted that strategy. Um, Harvard was a whole nother beast. Um, I think for me, I never could have imagined that I would have ended up there, and I'm really glad that I did because I had to go across, like literally across the continental United States to be able to just look at myself and be like, I wanna do organizing work, I wanna do social justice work. Why am I at an institution where I feel like the very purpose is to maintain privilege and power in the US and honestly the world? And if I really wanna do this work, I come from a place, as I mentioned before, where you have these intersections of state oppression and violence. It's like, this is where it's at. And so I just had to look myself in the mirror and be like, I have to go home. And people would look at me, the school was like, you're going to Fresno? We don't know how to help you with that. Um, we'll look at your LinkedIn page, good luck. And so, but I was like, oh, I, I've continued to be um, amazed by you know, when I told, when I put it on Facebook, I was like, I'm going to, to Fresno. Um, funders were like, on my page, were like, what, do you, what kind of work do you want to get into? 
And so I feel like it's been this process where if I like unapologetically put my purpose into the universe, even if I'm afraid and, and not sure what's next, people respond. If it's like, you've done your work around, like, why am I doing this? And for me, like coming back, I've been able to come with resources and have connections and being like, I can actually create my own job and jobs for other people. And so thinking about my added value here was a big piece. I think also like, you don't need permission to create space or to organize. In fact, for every like one person you find that's like, that's great, that's a great idea, let's do it. Like, you know, like when we started this, pla this place, there's like a hundred people who are gonna tell you why you shouldn't do it or why you can't do it. And I think part of it is just being willing to like, like I said, put that out there, find your community and don't be afraid to dream big. And it doesn't have to be like, I think what I love about our community is we do the best with what we have and, and that's a strength and to lead with that. I mean, I would totally echo exactly what Alicia is saying. It's, it's when we created this, you know, fresco or even, with Dulce up front in the new place we have, it's like, well, wh where are you, where's the money at? I'm like, I don't know, but we're gonna find it. We're gonna figure it out. Because at the end of the day, I can't wait for somebody else to do it for me. And that's what this is all about. You know, the work that Alicia does or the work that, you know, I've been doing, what we've been doing, it's like with Dulce up front or with Fresco or 99 Roots, it's like, it's off strength, it's off love and, and there's nothing that's gonna stop us. And we're, we're rural kids, like, we're straight up from Sanger, from the countryside, the sticks. And if we're doing this, and it's, it's, it, people are catching the attention of the work that we do in other parts of the country, anybody can do it in any other part of the world. And we're back in studio with literally the most fabulous man that my wife has married. I am Felonius Monk, the host of this amazing podcast, The Brave. Thank you for listening and doing yourself a favor. Here's the thing about a person who is also an artist slash activist who uses their art to try to change the world. It is a lot harder to stay focused on what the big goal is. As a comedian, the joke is supposed to be the primary thing, but as an activist, changing the world is my primary focus. So when I find people who are doing such an amazing job like Fresco uh, of balancing the two things, uh, my hat goes off to them and usually stays off because I'm going bald now and I want to make sure that I get my last few years of hairline out there. But that's not important. What is important is the work. And again, thank you to Ome and Alicia for doing amazing work in and around the Fresno area and all over the country. Uh, once again, thank you to our Rise Up Be Heard reporter, Johnson Del Rosario, for an amazing report. And once again, I am absolutely the sexiest man you've never seen, Felonius Monk. You have been listening to the Brave Podcast, which makes you better than 99% of your friends. Pat yourself on the back and look down at them condescendingly when you see them. The Brave Podcast is a project of Fusion Media Group in partnership with the California Endowment. The Rise Up Be Heard program manager is Jacob Seamus. The show is produced by Raghu Manavalan. Our executive producer is Jonathan Hirsch. And Fusion's executive director of audio is Mandana Mofidi. Special thanks to Fusion's Stephen Keppel and Marcelo Rodriguez of the California Endowment and to AudioLink LA Studios in Los Angeles, California. 
can find out more about the incredible men and women featured on this podcast in the show notes of this episode. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you guys for listening. Next week on the podcast is our live recording, a very special live recording coming to you live from Sacramento, a.k.a. Sacktown, a.k.a. Hey, ain't that where the Kings play? Anyway, we'll be live in Sacramento, so when you tune in, you'll get the electricity that can only be felt by a live audience listening to, again, the most exciting man in podcasting today, me, Felonius Monk, on the most exciting podcast in the history of podcasting, The Brave. Thank you again for tuning in. We will see you, physically see you next week. Hey, how you doing? It's the sexiest man in podcasting, me, Felonius. I know it's difficult to look directly in the camera at all this fantasticness.